what sort of reputation do you have? That's a bit of a loaded question, so let me give a couple of examples first. If someone has a reputation as a great comedian, it means that you can expect to go to one of their shows and laugh. If someone has a reputation of being a great landscaper, it means that you can trust them to work hard, work efficiently, and also charge a fair amount of money for the work that they do. One more example. If somebody is a good soldier, that means that you can expect them to shoot and fight well, to be in very good physical shape, and also to be very courageous and calm under a lot of pressure. So now think about your own reputation. What do people know you for? What makes you unique and special and useful? When you talk to people in conversation, are you a good friend, a good listener, somebody who's easy to talk to? Are you somebody who is a hard worker? Are you known to be dependable? Are you funny? Your reputation carries a lot of weight because it tells people what they can expect from you. So how about God? What is God's reputation? Well, God's reputation in the Bible is something known as his name. And that is everything about God that we know who he calls himself and the works that he does. Now, during his time here on earth, Jesus talked a lot about the name of God. And one of the places he talked about this is in one of his parables. We find it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. And as you listen to our reading for this morning and throughout our chapel time for today, I'd like you to keep in mind that God lives up to his reputation. He vindicates his people, he avenges the works of the evil, and he answers the prayer of his believers. We're reading this morning from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then he, that is Jesus, spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is the word of God. So I said that before our reading, God vindicates his people. But if you were listening, you noticed that the word vindicate doesn't show up anywhere in our reading. Well, that's another way that you can translate the Greek word for avenge. When someone is vindicated, it means that they are cleared of some kind of blame or accusation that was brought against them. 
Now, in the case of the widow from the parable, her adversary might have been accusing her of something or charging her with something, bringing legal accusations to her. You could even paraphrase her request to the judge as, give me legal protection from my adversary. Now, because widows were some of the most helpless people in Jewish society, there were laws in place that made sure that widows were provided for and taken care of and protected in society. So in the case of the parable, anyway, the widow even had the legal obligation to receive help from this judge. Now, in contrast to the widow, we can look at our own situation from a spiritual standpoint. That widow was asking for legal protection that she had a right to, that the judge was supposed to give her. She was in the right with her plea to the judge. Now, how is our situation different? Who is accusing us? What sort of accusations are they bringing against us? And do they have any kind of case against us? Now, as our accuser, we have Satan, the prince of evil himself, who charges us and attacks us with disobeying God's law. You can imagine Satan pulling out just really, really long, large scroll, and all of it is just entry after entry of all the sins that you have done. And you can think of every one of those entries as having a date and a timestamp and extreme detail about each of those sins. Every time that you've used a curse word, every time that you've talked about behind someone's back, every time that you have had sexually inappropriate thoughts, when you tell a small lie, that list, the more you consider God's law, just keeps growing and getting bigger and bigger. And the scary thing about that list is that every single one of those charges stick is that we're guilty of every single one of them. And even scarier than that is the idea of the punishment that we rightly deserve for all of those sins. Eternal separation from God in hell forever, body and soul. But thankfully, just like the widow in the parable is the opposite of us, so God is the opposite of that unjust judge in the parable. There's a common phrase you hear of from time to time that goes, if you do the crime, you do the time. Now, that's how conventional justice on earth is supposed to work. But God takes that and flips it. You could say that Jesus did the time for our crimes. He willingly took on the spiritual death penalty, if you want to call it that by suffering exactly what hell feels like on the cross. As a result, we are vindicated. We are cleared of all the blame that Satan, the world, anybody else can bring against us. We are instead given God's righteousness, which makes us model citizens in his kingdom of grace. Now, another way that you can think of the woman's request, the widow's request in the parable, is avenge me against my adversary. 
Now, when you avenge somebody or something, it means that you are dealing out retribution, payback, or justice for somebody who has wronged you or something they have done against you. Now, it's possible that somebody had done something to this widow and she was asking the judge, help me get retribution, rightful retribution, justice against my adversary. In reality, all she was asking the judge to do was to do his job, to live up to his reputation. Now, perhaps we start feeling like that widow from the parable sometimes. All around us in the world, we see people who take the opportunity to make fun of Christians, to make fun of us for what we believe in. Now, in some countries of the world, believers actually do experience very real and very severe persecution for what they believe in. And more commonly around us every day, we can see people who live open, shameless lives of unrepentant sin. So why don't we see God bringing a little more justice down in the world? Where's the fire and brimstone? Where are the people getting struck down for mocking God? Is God going back on his promise to punish the evildoer and to avenge his righteous people? Is God just ignoring us the same way that the unjust judge ignored the widow in the parable? Now, we know the answer is, of course not. God is simply waiting until the final judgment where he will give out ultimate divine retribution for everybody. For the believers in this world, he will give us that vindication that Jesus' blood has bought for us. And for the unbelievers of the world, there will be that final sense of justice where good will finally triumph over evil. God is simply telling us that we have to wait and be patient for that final day to come. And there's an important point to make here. As believers in our day-to-day -day lives, we often see people who lead these lives of open and shameless sin. Now, however, we're not supposed to ever be happy at the thought of somebody going to hell, because we know from Scripture that God wants all people to be saved and come to the saving knowledge of the truth, as we find it in the Bible. We always need to recognize that those people, even in their open and shameless sin, are people that Jesus died for and wants to save. However, we can also know and we can pray that God does avenge his believers and that he takes obstacles out of the way in the spread of God's word into the hearts of those believers. And an essential part of the lives of those believers is prayer. And that's another part of God's reputation, that he hears the prayers of his people. And that's the entire point of why Jesus is even telling this parable. In verse 1 of our reading, it clearly says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now that statement from the parable includes us. As Christians, we are a people that have been vindicated, cleared of all guilt by the suffering and death of Jesus. But we are also people that live in a sinful world and are constantly surrounded 
by sin and the effects of it. So in the interim, between now and heaven, between now and judgment day, between now and the time that we are taken home to be with our Heavenly Father, God has given us prayer as a direct access line to talk directly to him. And that line of communication is open to us because of what Jesus has done for us, because he has redeemed us, because of his suffering and death. And God doesn't want us to just use that line as a crisis hotline, only when we're in trouble, only when we're having a bad day. Instead, prayer should be something that we do every day. It's a form of constant communication between us and our God who has redeemed us. And when we talk to God in prayer, we should use those opportunities to bring before God anything and everything that is on our minds. That should include the praise that God so rightly deserves, confessing our sins to him, pleading for his mercy, thanking him for all the good things that he's put in our lives, and also asking for things, both physical and especially spiritual. And we can know that the one and only God who willingly gave his son to die on the cross for us does certainly listen to us and answers our prayers because he loves us. But sometimes we might get frustrated that our prayers aren't getting answered in the way that we want to or on the timeline that we want them to be answered. But thankfully, we have the words of 2 Peter 3.9, which says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In answering our prayers, God knows exactly what he's doing. He is never too early. He is never too late. God does everything precisely when he means to and how he means to for the well-being of his believers. And we can also be sure that God is not going to be early or late in fulfilling his final promise to us to return to this earth and to judge all of creation and take us home to be with him. All believers will receive that vindication, that clearing of guilt, and the benefits of it in heaven that Jesus has won for us. And even more, we will be able to see the final triumph of good over evil when Satan and all of his forces are banished to hell forever. But until that day comes, until Judgment Day is here, let us take full advantage of prayer for the spiritual weapon that it is. And may we always remember to pray in the name of Jesus who has always and will always live up to his reputation. Amen. This morning we'll be singing hymn 473 verses 1, 3, and 4. 473, 1, 3, and 4.